Shall we? Let's pray, guys. Uh, Father, we just thank you for um, the truths of Scripture put in song that just encourage our hearts. And uh, we just thank you for that. And I even just pray for our time in your word. I, I just pray you'd fill me, you'd use me, that you just, you'd bless these who've taken their time midweek to be in your house. And, and Father, I just pray for our prayer time afterward to be very special too. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen and amen. I just got to tell you, just by way of testimony, um, I was running on Monday and I was doing a, a run at Big Rock Forest Preserve. Anybody ever big, big, big Rock Forest Preserve? So I was running out there all over the place. So I had a 10 mile run to do. And as I'm running, I remember a friend of mine sometimes golfs at Rich Harvest Farms, which is a really nice golf course over there. And there's one spot where the trail touches Rich Harvest Farms. I mean, it's just like, it's nothing. It's like, boom, that's it. And so I just stopped. I texted him and I said, hey, if you're here to, at, the, at the golf course, just let me know. I never heard back. And I prayed right then. And I said, Lord, I don't know if Chris is over there today, but if he is, would you line up that exact same spot right there where I'm going to be? Boom. Just like that. Now you got to understand, 18 holes of golf, 10 miles of trails, and the time has to just be exact perfect. So I go out there and I'm running and I'm looking and I'm looking and sure enough, there's a group of four out there with a caddy, and, but it wasn't him. So I just decided to keep going and I turn the corner and I go and all of a sudden I hear, Scott, Scott, it was him. <laughs> is that crazy or is that crazy? So we stop and I go up on the tee box with these guys. He's got four, three guys there with him. They're all believers. I didn't know his wife was in prayer that morning for these guys because um, one of them, they're not sure spiritually how he's doing. And he was in prayer as well. Come to find out, one of the guys, his brother goes to our church and his nephew goes to our church. And so his, that was his brother and his nephew there. And he comes to our church. I, God just does those things. And then I am introduced to the caddy and, I, and he's a believer, works for Young Life. I'm like, God, you are so good. So we have fellowship on the golf course at the exact same time. There's no, no, no luck in the world. God answers specific prayers. So don't forget that. Don't forget that. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for how you remind us how you are the God of the details. And you show your love for us even in small ways, not just big ways. And Father, I just thank you for that, that not a chance encounter. And I pray for those men that you would draw them to yourself and even draw them to this church if this is where you want them to be encouraged. And I just pray for our time again tonight, time of prayer, time in your word. Just bless it as only you can. In your name, amen. How many of you have been to Starve Rock? Okay, so you've hiked Starve Rock, right? What's the hardest thing about hiking Starve Rock? Tell me. The stupid, the stupid stairs. The stairs are hard, right? Are they no, not? not? Well, not. that well. You can do them now, but, but there's a difference when you hike, elevation makes all the difference, does it not? Yeah. When you start going up hills, that's when it's hard. That's, that's when your leg starts burning, and that's when your lungs start burning, okay? Let me tell you something. That's the Christian life at times. We go up hills of difficulty from time to time, and that's when it hurts, and that's when it's hard. And we've got to make choices. Are we going to quit? We're going to go back down. Are we going to continue to go up? Are, are we going to say, nope, it's too hard? Or are we going to trust and continue to move? I want you to understand, Christian in the book of Pilgrim's Progress has just ascended. The last time we were in here, he had just ascended a hill called Difficulty. What was the name of the hill? <laughs> Difficulty, okay? And he was met with two ferocious lions, scared him to death. 
There was a guy on the other side of Porter named Watchful, a doorkeeper, saying, you can make it, understand this. And so he, he gets up his courage. He goes between these two lions. He finds out the two lions are what? They're chained. They can't move. So God was protecting him all along. He just needed to go forward in faith. So he's encouraged. He goes forward in faith. And then he comes to a house at the top of the hill. And the house is called the Palace Beautiful. He's introduced to four women at the Palace Beautiful. Discretion, prudence, piety, and charity. He's at a house called the Palace Beautiful. What is Palace Beautiful? Here's a hint. You're sitting in it tonight. It's the local house of God. That's the Palace Beautiful in Pilgrim's Progress. It's called the Palace Beautiful. Why? Because it's a place for Christians who've had a hard week to come and find some rest. It's a place for Christians who've been discouraged to come and find fellowship. It's a place to come in here, a beautiful place where we can learn the word of God together, where we can spend time in prayer together. So welcome to Palace Beautiful. Okay, because that's where we are in the Lord's house. Now, this is what Christian is told, or what we're told about Christian. He lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a stately palace before him, the name of which was beautiful, and it stood by the highway side at the corner of Douglas and Plainfield Roads. Well, it actually doesn't say that, but anyway. Um, soon he's going to be greeted with these words. Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. This house was built by the Lord of the hill on purpose to entertain such pilgrims. Entertain does not mean party hardy in this context. What does entertain mean? Yeah, to host, to find rest, to, to, to learn, to spend time with others for, for weary souls. So what I want to do tonight is I want us to look at this section in Pilgrim's Progress and the scripture behind it and see what God has to say about his house and see what Pilgrim chooses to point out or John Bunyan chooses to point out through Pilgrim for us to understand and be encouraged about the house of God. This is the first thing. The local church is where hospitality greets you at the door. That's what should greet you at the door. This should be a place of hospitality. First Peter 4, 9, and by the way, that's what Christian found. Watchful was there, encouraging him. The ladies were there, encouraging him. You and I should be people who show hospitality. When we're in this house and we see people coming in, we should be those who are hospitable. 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Isn't that interesting that God says that? Be hospitable to one another without what? Complaint. complaint. And that just not only means God's house, that also means using our houses. So if you invite other Christians over to your house and you're having a good time and then they leave and you say, oh my goodness, can you believe they stayed here forever? And can you believe how dirty the house is? And can you, that's not hospitality. That's hospitality with what? Complaint. complaint. So understand there's a difference. If you're going to show hospitality, you don't complain. You don't complain about how dirty the house is. You don't complain about the food you had to get ready. You don't complain about how long people stayed. You don't complain or it's not hospitality. And so understand the importance there. Now, biblical hospitality, understand something about this. Hospitality starts with this guy named Watchful. Anybody know who Watchful is? He's the pastor. He's the pastor at the church. That's who watchful is. And so hospitality should first and foremost be modeled by who? By the pastors of the local church. 
And by the way, that's a biblical qualification of pastors. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the officer, office of overseer, now you need to understand, overseer is the same as bishop, is the same as pastor, is the same as elder. All synonymous terms, meaning different parts of the office, just using um, overseer here. It is a, this is what it says, trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do, an overseer then must be above reproach, husband and one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. It is a qualification of pastors. Sometimes we think of hospitality as ladies' work. Ever run into somebody who thinks that? That's a ladies' work. They're going to make the food and they're going to get the house all cleaned up. No, no, no. This is a qualification of men of God who serve in ministry, as a matter of fact. So what do we learn about the local church? Hospitality should greet you at the door. Secondly, true members should be true believers. This is very interesting. True members should be true believers. Christian, when you read this portion of the book, is asked over and over and over again about his travels, about his family, and about his testimony of conversion. They want to know if Christian is truly a what? A Christian. So he's asked questions about it. And, and I want you to understand the importance of allowing people into membership at our church who are true believers in Jesus Christ. So this past Sunday, any of you in the new members class by any chance? Did you guys go through interviews? Okay, so some of the oversight team, you didn't get in? Well then, for, they, forget it, yeah. <laughs> so our deacons do this as well as our oversight team. And one of the main responsibilities is not just to get to know people who are looking at joining our church, but to hear a clear testimony of salvation. The last thing we want, now we want unsaved people to come to our church, true? Absolutely. But you do not want unsaved people, members in your church, who control votes and control things. Why? It's like an unequally, uh, being unequally yoked. You aren't unbelievers in charge of a church. By the way, that's a lot of churches out there. A lot of churches out there do not have true saved membership. And, and that's why we also ask for, um, they, we have a question to fill out on a form. Please complete this statement. If you were to die this very day, I know that I would go to heaven because. So we want to hear a clear testimony of salvation. And if somebody doesn't know the Lord, guess what we get to do? We get to lead them to the Lord. We get to talk to them about salvation. You may say, well, why? Isn't this an obvious thing? Not in John Bunyan's day. In John Bunyan's day, there was the established Church of England okay, that did not require a testimony of regeneration. If you were baptized as a kid, you went to church, you're a member of the church. And John Bunyan was fighting against that in his day, understand the importance of saved church membership. And that's where we stand too. Why is that important? Well, Acts chapter 2, 41 and 47 teaches this. Acts 2, 41 and 47. So then those who had received the word were baptized. They were added about that day 3,000 souls. Verse 17, or verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those who were being what? Saved. So it was a true salvation experience. So hospitality greets them at the door. True members are true believers. Now we got these four ladies. Discretion, prudence, piety, and charity. That's who abides in the church. Discretion, prudence, piety, and charity. 
And Christian is introduced to these four women and they interact with him and they ask questions about him. And these four women personify those four characteristics. What is discretion? Discretion is exercising good judgment. And that's also seen in the care and questioning of Pilgrim as he comes in, as Christian and he comes in. So the church should be a place where people exercise and learn to exercise good judgment. Prudence, that's walking carefully in wisdom, being true to God's word. That should be true of us. We're learning to walk in wisdom. We're seeking to be true to God's word. Piety, piety is this sincere desire to live for God. It means holiness. That should be a place. This should be a place where we learn to live a holy life and be personally devoted to the Lord and grow in our personal devotion and faithfulness. And then charity. Charity is an old word meaning love. That's what it means, okay? It can also have the idea of compassion and kindness, but it really means love. They're gonna know we're believers by our what for one another? Our love for one another. And so obviously that's huge. It's a new commandment I give you. Love one another, you know? So local church, hospitality greets you at the door. True members, true believers, discretion, prudence, piety, charity abide. Now, here's, here's the next thing. Let me just read you the next section. Then I saw in my dream that they all sat talking together until supper was ready. So when the meal was prepared, they sat down to eat and all of their conversation at the table was about the Lord of the hill. Guess what this represents? The Lord's what? Supper, communion. This is a place where God's people remember the death of our Lord. And we do this in remembrance of him. And we partake around a table. That's what this means. And so the next point is we gather around the Lord's table. That's what the local church is for. One of the ordinances of the local church. Okay, how many ordinances are there? Two, and what are they? Baptism and the Lord's table or communion, okay? And so he's stressing the importance of sharing the Lord's table together, okay? And humbly partaking together. By the way, guess what we're gonna do in this church on Sunday? Communion. communion. I just think this is amazing too. I, I don't plan it this way. I really believe God is in the details. So I'm working through this today and John Bunyan in this book is talking about saved church membership. And guess what we're doing on Sunday? We're welcoming new members in who just went in through an interview about salvation. And this chapter is also talking about communion. Guess what we're also doing this Sunday? We're celebrating communion. I'm like, God, you know what you're doing. I am not that smart. <laughs> I just, I love when the Lord does those things. So the, obviously communion is a very important part of the early church, Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, okay? And then, of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And by the way, was the Corinthian church a good godly church? It was anything but. It had more problems you could shake a stick at. You had sexual immorality with some guy sleeping with his stepmom. You, you had people getting drunk at the communion table. I, it was messed up church, guys. It was messed up. 1 Corinthians 11. Oh, and by the way, factions? I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. I mean, they, they, they had all these divisions and disunity in their church. Can I tell you something? Praise God for our church. Praise God for our church. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In what? Remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, uh, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must, what? Examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So this is a time for us to come together this Sunday of self-examination. Worship of our God, the sacrifice he made. But also say, God, look in my heart. Look in my heart and forgive me of any sin. Forgive me. Now, some people, when you come into our church, some people say, well, I was at so-and-so's church, this other church, and they do communion every single week. And I was at another church, and they do it once a month. And I was at another church, and they do it once a quarter. How often should a church do communion? It doesn't really say. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So we at our church typically take communion every six to eight weeks, if, if you're curious about that, is, is what we've decided to do. We want to do it often enough that it doesn't, it, it's still special. Does that make sense? And so, it doesn't mean it can't be special every week for churches that do that, but that's just what we've chosen to do before the Lord. So, hospitality, true members, true believers. We've seen the four women gather at the Lord's table. Here's the next thing we learn about the local church from this chapter, is to encourage others and have others encourage us. That's what the church should be, right? When you come in this place, you should be encouraged, but you should also be encouraging. And I think both of those things take place, okay? Encourage others and others encourage us. So and this is exactly what happens with Christian. He comes up this hill of difficulty and, and he's walking past these lions and watchful's there to encourage him. My prayer is that when you hear me preach or teach, you're encouraged. Yes, you're challenged. By, by the way, First, uh, First Timothy. Sometimes, sometimes I'll have people come up to me and they don't like my preaching, and, and they'll get all over me because I didn't do this or I did do that, and and um, and I I usually have to stop them and I have to say, Did you know there's a passage in the Bible that teaches me how to preach? Really? Yes. And can I take it to take you to it? It's in First Timothy chapter two, or chapter four, verse one and two. And, and it says for the pastor to be ready to preach in season and what? Out of season. And this is this. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, instruct with great patience. So God tells me how to preach. And sometimes when you're in a service, you'll feel rebuked. You'll feel reproved. It's not because I hate you. I'm just going to preach the word. And sometimes I step, I step on toes. But he also says there's also instruction. So I hope you're being instructed and encouraged as well. So we have to understand the word of God is powerful and it does all of those things is what it does. So he comes up this hill of difficulty and he's encouraged. And we have some verses that remind us about encouragement, mutually speaking. First Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. So let's be about encouraging one another and building up one another. Who is the guy 
in the book of Acts whose name is son of encouragement? Who? No, he was Barnabas. Barnabas, whenever you see the name Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. Think about how encouraging that guy must have been. That he was so encouraging that he was given the name, yo, encouragement, come on over here. That, that's just amazing to me. So what do people say about you? What do people say about me? Would they say, wow, you are so encouraging. Anytime I run into you, you're just building me up. You're just blessing me. Bless you. <laughs> Speaking of blessing. <laughs> I, I want to challenge you right there. When you run into people, do they think, oh, brother, they're going to complain again. Oh, brother, they're going to brag again. Or what are you known for? What am I known for? Because we're told to encourage one another. So let's be sons and daughters of encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, well-known passage, well-known verses. One of the ways this happens is by making sure we get to church. Palace beautiful. Hebrews 10, 24 and 5. Let us consider how to stir or stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hey, life is short, is it not? It's short, guys. It's really short. So let's make sure we're spending time in God's house. Let's make sure we're encouraging one another. Let's make sure we're stirring one another on to love and good deeds. And then, and then the next thing he teaches the local church, enter into the study. This is a place to study the word of God. Let me read this passage, or this passage, this part of the book. They had him into the study where they showed him records of great antiquity in which as I remember my dream they showed him the pedigree of the Lord of the hill and he was the son of the ancient of days and came by eternal generation here also was more fully recorded the acts that he had done so first and foremost this is a place we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ we learn about his eternality we learn about that he is fully God, that he is fully man. We learn about his works, his works on our behalf and the greatest work, his work on the cross. And, and that's what he's learning, Pilgrim is, in the house beautiful. Now, in this study, we're equipped. We're equipped by the laity, by one another. First Corinthians 14 says, what is the outcome, brethren? That when you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, we come together. And then we're equipped by spiritual leaders. Ephesians chapter four. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? Why has God given me and the rest of the pastors to this church? Why has God given the teachers in this church to this church? So you have pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. So what should you guys be? Equipped. Why should you be equipped? for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. So is a pastor supposed to do everything in the church? Answer. No. Absolutely not. Who's supposed to do the work of ministry? You are. You're the church. You are to do the work of the ministry. So I'm going to challenge you. You've been coming to this church for one week. You've been coming to this church for four years and you don't do anything in this church. You better start doing something. 
better start doing something. Because that's why you're here. It's not to sit back in a chair on a Sunday and say, feed me, entertain me, whatever me. No, 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 no. You are to be equipped for the work of service. Now, that means you need to know your spiritual gift. There's four passages in the scriptures that talk about the, the spiritual gifts. If You may say, I don't know my spiritual gift, Pastor. I'd love to serve, but I don't know. Find out your spiritual gifts. We try to help you do that. My wife is our volunteer coordinator here. My wife loves to sit down with people and just get to know them. And you can take a spiritual gift survey. If you go to our website, at harvest, what is it? At harvest.church, at harvest.church, and at is A-T, at harvest.church. If you go to our website, there's actually a spiritual gift survey on there. It's, it's not foolproof, but it helps give you an idea of what your spiritual gifts are. So I want to encourage you, find out your spiritual gift. And then he says this, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So we have this important responsibility of building each other up until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So that's what it's about. And we know the word of God is effective. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 is inspired by God. And it's what? Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There it is again. God wants us doing what? Good works. Good works. So now what's very interesting is the word of God also gives us perspective because pilgrim looks out, Christian looks out and he sees a view of what is to come. And it's the vista of what is called the delectable mountains, the promised land, okay? And it's also called Emmanuel's land. And so being in the house of God, being in the word of God, being in worship of God, and I mentioned this on Sunday as well. Um, and I think it's an important part when we looked at Psalm 73. Does anybody remember what I said about Psalm 73? How it gives us perspective when life doesn't seem fair, Okay. When life isn't fair, read Psalm 73. Read Psalm 73. He's disheartened, Asaph is. He's embittered. He's frustrated because the world is getting away with sin. He's trying to live for God and nothing's going right in his life. Nothing's going right in his life and he's trying to live for God. Nobody else is living for God and they seem blessed. What's up with that? Life is unfair. And then he reads Psalm 73. And this is what it says in verse 16 and 17. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Now he's talking about the temple, okay? This isn't the temple. But the application is there. It's where you're hearing about God. You're worshiping God. You're drawing close to God. God gives us perspective on this life that we wouldn't typically have unless we came to church, unless we're under the word of God, in the word of God, worshiping, singing to God, with believers of God, spending time in prayer. And so that's just another reason to make sure you're in the beautiful place, the palace beautiful, okay? And then one last thing I just wanna close with, it's Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell are not gonna what? Over, overpower, overcome it. Okay, And he's talking about the universal church, those who are part of God's kingdom. But those who are part of God's kingdom are in this church as well, every local church, true, true local churches. 
And so guess what? Nothing's going to stop the church of God. This palace is beautiful. It's not going to be dismantled because the church is not a building, correct? It's not. The church is you and me. The church are believers in Jesus Christ. But we're grateful that we can come together in a building. So the palace beautiful. Hospitality should greet you at the door. True members, true believers. Discretion, prudence, piety, charity, abide. Gather around the Lord's table. Encourage others and have others encourage us. Come into the study and nothing's going to stop it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this man and his creative mind that you gave him uh, for this allegory that teaches so many Christian truths. And help us be people, not about his book, but about the Bible and the truths in the word that that he brings uh, to the forefront through this story. And uh, we just pray that you'd go before us now in this time of prayer in your name. Amen.